Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey Archons, welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast made by Keyforge friends, made for Keyforge friends. We are your Keyforge friends. I am a Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I'm also called Alex. I'm joined today by, you guessed it, Keyforge friends. We've got SC Steel. Hey, hey. And Boulevard Blake. Hey, what's going on, man? Not too much, not too much. Excited for today's episode because a little while back I threw this out as a potential topic for us to discuss and immediately, Blake, I remember you were like, oh, I'm ready to have that conversation and I'm not (laughs) on the same side as you. This could be one of our more controversial episodes, I think, for some listeners. So I'm excited for it. Indeed. Uh, I I go into this with my eyes fully open uh, and with my mouth fully open to spit out (laughs) what I think is a fairly hot take. Here is my hot take, and then we can start actually digging in on it. Sydney, Blake, I think it is time for Call of the Archons, the first Keyforge set, to be retired from all but casual play. And when I say casual play, I mean like around the kitchen table play. I don't think it should be played at chain bound. I don't think it should be played in tournaments. I think it's time is done and we should move on from it. And I have a five part argument to that. But I just want to say when I say that out loud, what's your initial gut reaction without getting into any counter arguments? Blake? My initial gut reaction is is that Keyforge was presented as an evergreen game that no matter what set is released that they're always going to be legal the decks you have in some format or another and i think that the amount of time and resources people have put into call of the archons has uh that that would not go over very well and i think it would make a lot of people very annoyed as a as a result and i think it would actually hurt the game and i don't think that call of the archon is uh the boogie under the the bed, as some people seem to feel, coughs, Guzzy. All right, all right. What about you, Sydney? What's your gut reaction to that statement? I actually have a two part take uh, personally, which this might add fuel to the fire. But our best decks are Coda, so I absolutely think that it may prove your point. But you skewer our deck collection by removing our Coda from possible play. But on the other hand, it's probably a lot of people's go-to decks for a lot of reasons. So you're actually cutting off a lot of different people's ways to play the game, especially if any OP is out of the question. All right, so let me lay out my first point, my five-part argument here. I think that Coda represents an era of the game that is long past philosophically. Um, When I first started playing Keyforge, and when I first started playing with my very first Call of the Archons decks, a huge part of the appeal of the game was, oh my god, I can't believe how crazy this game plays. There was a real anything-goes atmosphere. Cards were super powerful. Games could turn on a dime. you know. And I think that in many ways we've refined that over the years in Keyforge. There are still powerful cards. Games can still turn on a dime. Games are still incredibly, incredibly competitive oftentimes, and frequently games go to three keys more often than not. That is a wonder of the design of the game. However, I think that the simplistic form that that took of just having extremely powerful cards 
isn't necessarily a way that we should be thinking about Keyforge as players. And I certainly don't think it's the way that the design team at FFG is thinking about the game going forward. I think that it's representative of an older mindset and it's time for that mindset to kind of be put out to pasture. I really think that philosophically, and I like I like using that word, Keyforge boils down to in its simplest form, get Amber, forge keys. Mm-hmm. And as as much as you want to add on top of that, all the really cool things that the new sets have done and how Coda played might have made that simpler, but it does in fact boil down to get Amber, forge keys. All right. I see that argument. I see that argument. Blake, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that it is the best set for new people joining the game because of that simplistic philosophical outlook as uh, Sydney so eloquently put it of forge, get Ember Forge keys. And I think that if you say that this set is no longer a competitively viable set, then philosophically you're going to stop it from being used from even a learning point of view. And I think that taking that away from people is is not a good way to introduce them to the game in any sense of the matter. And I think that every set we've had has been different in some form or another and some better and some worse as a result. Obviously this one with no benchmark to go by came out as one of the top sets and I don't think anyone will argue against that but it's also one of the most simple sets and I think there is a great appeal for many reasons because of that and I don't think taking it out of the competitive field would help people get to experience that and getting to experience Coda and building from that knowledge I think is essential to really developing your knowledge and gameplay and more importantly the game style you enjoy of the game mm-hmm. from that base foundation of Call of the Archons. Blake, do you not think that there is a danger in people picking up Coda, playing with Coda and going, wow, and having that experience that we all had back in the Coda days, like the pre-AOA days, the very beginning of the game, and then going to their weekly chain bound and realizing that the game does not play that way anymore in most regards? No, because you could say that about literally any game that has multiple sets. Yes, so it's, it's a it's just a part of a card game that exists and it just so happens that there is the the thing where you can't deck build and therefore that's why i think it's hard to just straight up say you're going to retire something when you're essentially saying these pieces of paper you hold have no value and cannot be used again in a format if you take competitive out of a game then you actually lose a lot of incentive from other people to to engage i actually think building on that casual play is probably the vast majority of the way that Keyforge is played. So whether a kitchen table or a local game store or a random game night with friends, because casual play is actually the most common, going into a casual game with Coda, even though your opponents may be playing something insane, makes it easier for a casual player to play the game. 
No, no, yeah, you're Sydney's definitely right. I think I think there is more casual play than competitive. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more the the what if thing. You know, if like people may only play casually, but everyone has dreams of maybe having something they could take to a competitive thing and and through competitive or casual play you realize that, oh, this this deck is actually way more competitive than our kitchen table scene would like to have, or I I need to give like a, a public service announcement before I play this so people can match <laughs> what I'm bringing. I think we've all done that before. Yes. And uh, so it's, I think it's just the possibility when you remove that from the equation, it changes the perspective mm-hmm. and, and removing it, I think is, is not a positive thing for the game, the all potential. Right. I hear, I hear both those arguments. I think that there, there's an interesting aspect to that. Certainly what Sydney was saying, you know, I'm not saying that people have to burn their coda decks. I'm just saying that they should be retired from any kind of official or sanctioned play. But let me go on to my second point here. I think that having the need to be able to deal with coda era decks stymies the design of new sets. Because either the designers have to choose to find ways to knock out the incredibly powerful things that Coda could do, or they have to choose not to address them, in which case those decks can just run rampant. Now, I think that there's been a fairly solid way of dealing with a lot of Coda going forward, but especially as we've seen in the most recent set, Dark Tidings, we're starting to see a case where we're moving further and further away from things that were just standard ways of dealing with Coda. Scaling Amber Control, for example, I think taking that away, if you were to sit down and just say, all right, average Dark Tidings deck versus average Coda deck, you're going to have to worry about what Dark Tidings is missing as a set to be able to deal with very, very common things within Coda, like Amber Burst. Um, I think that this is a problem that's going to become more pronounced with time. I personally feel that the answer to that was having instead of one card that you play and has a crazy effect, like too much to protect mm-hmm. or for example, um, doorstep to heaven, which they did bring back. Uh, if you, if you actually look at the, what existed in the past, there are, there are less, but there's still, they still brought it back. Like doorstep was gone for a while and then they brought it back. And then also too much to protect. Just, this is the first time. Um, well, actually I guess it's two sets. Now we haven't had too much to protect. And I think that the answer to that was using key cost as a means to prevent scaling ember and i have a sneaky suspicion that they were testing out how that works but unfortunately because of the pandemic we didn't really get to see mass mutations or dark tidings uh which were the two sets that, that have the i guess the less of that that scaling ember uh really in a competitive arena and get those stats for the design team to work with and for all we know, these two sets were specifically done with, okay, let's focus on key cost increase. Because I, I think you could argue that there has been more key cost increase because you've seen, we've all seen the screenshots of these wild, like keys cost 23 Ember mm-hmm. uh, situations, which is a way to deal with scaling Ember control in, in, to a degree. It's a deal with, uh, it's, it's a way of dealing with forging keys, period. But I mean, I think that may be a design choice is they don't want it to be, you just lose all your Ember, you get it all, but rather you have to increase it so you tax them for bursting and so all that hard work essentially is gone in a different way because you're making them pay so much for a key so there could be just the evolution of the decisions for how the game is going to deal with ember burst 
And maybe they just didn't have the data that they've had in the past to to make a decision whether this is the right way or we need to have those cards that just go boom, you're down to five again. Mm-hmm. Alex, I actually see what you're putting out there with the fact that Dark Tidings, one of the biggest new meta is to exhaust creatures. And as cool as that is, and as rampant as that is in Dark Tidings, it actually kind of falls away from being able to handle the coda because of the low creature count in the best decks coda has to offer. So I see what you're saying in going forward, decks will have to continually think about how to deal with coda. But I think that they did a good job in in Worlds Collide and, and Mass Mutation with directly addressing Coda with the, the Eddie and um, uh, increasing key costs and uh, in furnaces, getting rid of amber and power cards. So I think that they directly addressed it immediately. And in the future, what they're trying to do, in in my mind at least, is create new metas that other decks have to deal with. Because if Dark Tidings decks can win on their own merit by by having their own Uh, end goal, their own means to the end, then Coda has to deal with that. And I think going forward, that might actually be how they get away with not addressing Coda directly, is creating mechanics and paths to the win condition that don't actually address Coda, but that Coda doesn't address. So that Coda isn't always on the offensive. It's sometimes on the defensive. Legitimate arguments, both. Third part of my five-part argument. I think focus on Call of the Archons diminishes interest in newer sets and the evolution of the game. I think that we reach a point of diminishing returns whenever we are playing new sets online, where suddenly a bunch of people just revert back to playing Call of the Archons because that's the tried, trusted, and true winningest decks that they have in their collection, which means that they're less interested in buying new decks and new sets, developing new decks and new sets, and learning more about the game and helping the game move forward. I genuinely think that if you say, yeah, you can still buy Coda, and if you want to play Coda with your friends around the kitchen table or at your game store, totally legitimate, but you have to have new competitive decks from more recent sets to be able to play competitive play, That encourages people by force, I admit that, entirely by force and maybe against their will, to have to invest further in the game. And I don't just mean monetarily, I mean as a player and as a person who's part of the community. Sydney, you take this one first. So I was actually, I was rushed looking up and I I can't currently find it, but the sheer number of registered decks of Call of the Archons dwarfs any other set. And so there there are a lot of people whose collections do currently consist of Coda. And I think in a situation where the, the casual players all the way up to the competitive who want to continue playing the game end up buying new cards, new sets, new decks. But if we want to like hard stop, turn away all the people who are who are sitting on their their old decks, because they're they're suddenly not allowed to play it in um, in OP, where all of the new decks are are coming out with new rules and and the cool new things are the shiny things that the competitive people are going after. We end up actually just 
turning away people that that would otherwise probably play the game, but their collections may just simply lean more coda. Yeah, um, I I like what Sydney's saying. And I also feel that they they have addressed in design as well for many different reasons the the whole you say coda is the most powerful but at, as sydney mentioned i think and i agree with her worlds collide and mass mutations does have answers and i think we we have created as has been mentioned many times a rock paper scissors syndrome where one set is going to be better matched up against another and so on and so forth and you just happen to go like as we get deeper i think this concept is going to be become a lot more interesting but i i also think that the the coda side of things like i actually don't like playing coda that much like i have my coda decks and i know they're great and i know what they want to do but i honestly prefer to play other sets because the simplicity of coda does not appeal to me the same Mm -hmm. and i would think that an interesting way of moving forward with this for for organized play and for competitive is is to create multi-deck formats like more of them because we have, I think, only Survival and uh, Triad right now, which really utilize those. But you you put a stipulation in the format that you cannot bring two decks from the same set. So therefore, you can only have one Coda deck out of your three or your two, whatever the format happens to be. And I think that also allows for some interest because you know that not everything in the tournament will be that. And I just I just also think that if you look at Coda, there's also the time put into it. People have spent so much time because they've had the most time with it. And there could be this, this thing where it's like, I've invested so many hours into this one deck or these three decks because that's all I could play to start the game off. And so therefore, it has also the investment into a deck already, which I think causes that focus on coda at a time and yeah it may diminish new sets because people like oh this isn't as good as coda but it's different and and maybe you know it may come down to simply as people don't like change Mm -hmm. i think that is one of the things look i'm i'm not going to sit here and claim that nobody would be mad if if ffg was to turn around and and say you know what scuzzy was right and if they ever do make this change i dearly hope that that's how they announce it so that people can uh, <laughs> stone me in the street and i can be turned away from uh from every game store uh <laughs> for fear that people are going to come after me with torches and pitchforks i i, I I'm not naive about that, but games have done similar moves in the past. They've brought out new versions of the game and said, all right, if you want to keep playing whatever, you got to play with the new set. You're no longer allowed to play with the old set. I think it's part of life cycles of games, and sometimes you're going to shed players because of that, but oftentimes it's for the long-term health of the game. With and that I think said, that's why Sealed exists, though. Sealed, sealed guarantees that you have control over what people play, which is, I think, the really interesting thing about Keyforge is because you can really control that and and have that format that says, okay, you're playing this set that we want you to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. It's a very strong point, actually. Sealed is a favored format for, I think, everybody on this podcast. Sydney, we've had that conversation, right? I do enjoy Sealed, yes. Me too, yeah. 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 If, if every chain bound could be sealed, I would be happy. Um, although every once in a blue moon, it is fun to break out a deck that you opened up in a previous seal to see how it competes <laughs> against other people's hot fire. But point number four in my five part argument, I do not think that Call of the Archons prepares new players for what Keyforge is like now. So we've already mentioned it. 
Call of the Archons was not very creature-based, and it had a ton of amber printed on it. And to be totally frank, fighting was not actually a thing that really had to happen in Coda. Because it was a much more, like, I can just sort of do my own thing and I don't have to worry as much about my opponent because my opponent's bombs are going to be things that I have very little recourse to prevent anyway with what's happening on the board. So the board is, like, very frequently an afterthought in Coda games. And I think that ever since then, especially with AOA, we've been moving towards a board-based game where it matters what you have on the table, where it's important to have ways of dealing with cards that are on the table. And I like Keyforge better that way. It's a more interesting game to me that way. And I think that if people come in playing Coda, sure, it's going to give them a grasp of the basic mechanics. But then after that, they're going to be left adrift when they move on to actually playing against a board-based game. Uh, I just think that it gives people a false impression of what Keyforge is like to play now. So I actually completely agree with you. The only difference is, coming from a board game background, I am much more likely to introduce someone to Coda, even if I want to get them into what is currently the, the newest set, the newest meta, the newest cool shinies, because in playing a board game, let's say like recently, um, I got some friends together and we played Twilight Imperium 4. And for, for anyone who's ever heard of TI4, it is an eight hour session of board game brain burning. And as awesome and completely wonderful as that is, there are expansions to that game. And I liken <laughs> newer sets to expansions. So there is no way I would have even remotely given TI4 with all of the expansions a chance had we not first played it with the basic set. So the the first time we played it, it was eight hours. It was amazing. And the second time we played it, we added all the expansions, but because we had played it beforehand, that session was also eight hours. So even with everything else added, everything else thrown in, all of the basics were already covered in having played it before. So I think that in in Keyforge, that basically gets someone primed and ready to rush into the coolest new sets. That's a compelling argument. Yeah, I'm I'm with Sydney. This is the one argument I do agree with you, Scuzzy, is that it does not represent the current game. But I'm with Sydney in the sense that you need sometimes to to introduce the game because if it's in a simplistic form because if it is too complex you lose the player before they can really experience the magic and i had this thought where i think dark tidings would actually be the best experience for people getting to know the game but the level of complexity to understand that you may actually lose the player because they're having to check so many rules or they're missing so many triggers that they actually don't get the flow of the game so i think call of the archons was designed exceptionally well for introducing someone to the game and then you have to build from there and i literally taught someone the game quite recently by teaching her through a coda deck and just having the simple mechanics like being able to understand just play cards and whatever you have the most of in your hand plus on your board like that delta card plus hand metric that bouncing death quark coined and has just been 
one of the greatest learning tools from the game, like understanding that early on to how to move forward and, and make decisions when you don't know what to do is is so essential to understanding the game and having that really ease to get you hooked in the game is great. And then you build from there. And I think if you skip that step, it's going to become a little bit harder. Like I think if you introduce someone to AOA, like with the game, I think you could lose the player just because like as fun as that is, I think you're missing uh, some of the key things that you need to have those concepts ingrained before you can truly understand how to move forward because things will happen that you'll just be like why did this happen why didn't i win why wasn't i able to do x y or z and it could just literally be because you didn't understand that that even exists in the game because the fundamentals are not the same as what exists in coda the simplicity like you said of not fighting a lot is actually so important i literally just taught someone else recently how to play and he came from, I think, playing Magic or Hearthstone or something like that. That's why we call him Coach, everybody. <laughs> he, came, he came from like a, a card-based game where it's a life total. And a lot of people who come from other card games, you're oh, coming man, from yeah. a life total background where you mm -hmm. need to damage your opponent and kill them, take their life to zero. So all they're thinking about is fighting. We're literally playing a game and he couldn't get his mind around not fighting. Like all he wanted to do was fight and wasn't generating any ember and kept losing over and over. I'm like, dude, you have to stop fighting. I'm like, it's so not important but the mind of players from other games they're they've been ingrained that fighting and dealing damage is how you win so by not having a thing where you like if you just play cards you're going to reach your goal you don't have to worry about your board so much it's really difficult for people to get their mind around that even when it's not a part of the game essentially like obviously it is but it's not essential people still are drawn to it so if you suddenly bring these sets where you're putting out these huge boards they're just going to start fighting and not even trying to get <laughs> ember because they don't think about it because it's not a part of what card games are so it's it's really interesting that it does work in that way because i think it is essential for people understanding how they can really grasp the game and you have to really like fight with them no like stop thinking about that that's not going to help you win it's actually also really fun to take a new player on the same journey that all of us have already been through mm -hmm. like you start at coda and then at, in aoa you get legacies and and anomalies and like what's that that's new that's cool and then worlds collide oh my gosh what's ward awesome and then mass mutation enhancements mind blown and now at dark tidings with the the tide like going on that journey with a new player is so rewarding like it adds a lot to start early and then just keep building on the fundamentals i think i i need to point out here for the sake of my argument that that's totally valid point that would still be possible even if you say you can't play coda at chain bound or play at a tournament touche good point yeah totally I also actually, I skip AOA when I'm teaching. I go actually to from Coda <laughs> to Worlds Collide and then come back to AOA because I think there's a lot of nuances in AOA that when you're relatively new to the game, it's not necessary because the one of the biggest things that AOA provides is like the bigger boards. And I think Worlds Collide does that better plus new mechanics where I think it's a good jump and then understanding the, the key cost increase. And then you come back to AOA afterwards once you can see that. That's, that's kind of how I do. I circle back. The reap hate in AOA slows down a game so much, like no new player wants to sit down and play an hour-long game at Keyforge. Yeah. All right, let me lay out my final argument. Argument number five in my five-part Let's Retire Coda plan. I think the best aspects of Coda are represented in newer card designs that are more balanced and interesting. I think that 
The shock and awe of Call of the Archons was terrific for getting people excited about the game. Um, just like the idea of, there's no way that card could possibly do that. Can it? And then realizing, <laughs> oh my goodness, it can. And there was something about that that like, I know it turned off some people, but I think many more people were like, wow, that's crazy. Like this game just feels exciting and dynamic and anything can happen. It's really wild. But ultimately... I think that we've taken so many of those cards that were like that and we've introduced new ideas and new mechanics into them. I'll take like Control the Weak as a great example. An incredibly powerful card in Coda. You play that card and yeah, like it's just you're exerting absolute control over your opponent's next turn. Games are won and lost by it. However, it's more interesting to me to have cards that allow you to make that a conditional thing or that offer your opponent some choice in and around it. There's the card from the new set. I can't recall what the name of it is right now off the top of my head. I'm very sorry, Illusions everybody. of Grandeur? Yes, Illusions of Grandeur that makes that a choice for your opponent. Either they get Amber or the choice can happen. And it can then be inter uh, integrated into a more complex and interesting style of gameplay. So I think this probably actually the easy counter argument for this one is the one that you guys have just said. Well, if you start people on Call of the Archons, then they're ready to recognize how these new cards, you know, have become uh, sort of more complex versions of classic cards uh, and more like interesting and and like offer more options to, to players, but I don't feel like we need Coda in the competitive or organized space for that to be true. I think games at a high level will be more interesting if there's more illusions of grandeur and less control the weeks. You know, I, I do agree from. with you. Yeah. I, I think that that is sorry, probably... That. Could you say it again, please? Whoops. Sorry. I don't know why my Siri <laughs> just did that. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> my parents have uh, Alexa in their house, so if one of them addresses me by my name, oh my Alexa, god, that's hilarious! It's so annoying, it's the worst. <laughs> I may just leave that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best. I actually really agree with you. I think this is the point of yours that I agree with the most, even though mm -hmm. the counter argument for it is so strong. I think that it's more fun to play the newer sets. And a lot of what we've already touched on already really leads to the fact that I personally would rather play new sets. I think that I can find the combinations I liked in Coda done better and not even necessarily more efficiently, but more interestingly in the newer sets. And that is something that we can, we can definitely introduce to new players with the caveat of if they don't know what they're getting into when first introduced, they might not even see it. So picking up on that over time is something that not having Coda would handicap them. Yeah, and, and it's cool seeing the evolution. Like, like, like for example, Library Access, I think, is, is a great one. I love your Control of the Week one. I think that is the the quintessential like evolution of a card to, to bring it to a point which is really interesting. But even seeing Library Access, like I, I wonder how long the design was till it came to back in mass mutation that they were trying like how do we make this work so it's fair and it works well and and i think that library card is such a great way like it, it has a nod to the original and it does the same thing but you can't just do it right off the hop like you have to actually plan for it so it actually diminishes its potency because you either have to take an l on your logos turn to play it to then have a bigger turn next time 
or you just let it be there until you have more cards and then you can have the turn then i I think it's it's such an interesting evolution of the quote-unquote like library draw i really enjoyed having this conversation with both of you um i'm just gonna put it right out here that i honestly like am not that fussed about people playing coda in competitive situations i've seen lots of coda great coda decks go down to lots of great decks from newer sets this is more of a philosophical exercise um and i genuinely do think at a certain point that like coda is just uninteresting to me um i recognize the fact that a lot of people are have a lot invested in coda and that it would potentially be like a very limiting uh move to the game to remove it entirely from organized play but also it wouldn't break my heart if it happened you know i I think this was an interesting conversation and i would actually be interested to have it about other sets because i think that you could make similar arguments around worlds collide although they would be different based on that style of uh of that particular set but maybe something we could revisit in future would you guys be up for that oh yeah absolutely All right. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called... Help Help from Future future Self. self. Simple lesson. um, Ties into the one that we have been preaching from the mountaintop ever since we started this podcast, Player Decks. Here's the thing. Playing your decks oftentimes means, okay, I played like six or seven games with this deck. It's not winning, so I'm going to move on to something else. But sometimes I think what we get overly focused on is the loss and not how competitive the games were just this past week i picked up a deck from dark tidings that i had played a bunch of times because it looked good to me it had some interesting cards and it had three dies two miasma bombs uh, some interesting stuff going on in untamed as well uh and uh, a legacy archimedes which i thought was really cool um and so everything about it seemed like it was going to be really good but i lost every single game i played with it like five or six games And so I picked it back up again, said there must be something else to this. And I started playing it again. And I lost a couple of times. But what I started paying attention to was how competitive those losses were. And then I played it a couple more times and I started to win. And I think what I had been overly focused on was the fact that those particular games, those five or six games that I played were losses because I was learning a new set. I wasn't familiar with the deck and how it played and which way it wanted to pull. And I wasn't paying attention to how well the deck was actually performing. Was it doing the thing that it wanted to do? Blake, I know this is a thing that you are always telling people. Figure out what the deck wants to do. And I know that's something that you talk about all the time in your streams and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I lost sight of that. All I was caring about was the win-loss and not about was the deck doing the thing that it was supposed to do and what I expected it to do. And now it's one of my favorite decks within the set. So don't always get hung up on the loss. Look at how the deck is playing and whether or not it's actually doing the things that you can expect it to do. Do you feel like the loss could have been a victory if, you know, things had shook out slightly differently? Probably worth still investing some time in that deck. That is a great lesson. All right. You can find us, of course, on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and on Instagram and on The Crucible. Sydney, where can they find you? I am on TCO and Discord as SC Steel, but I am going to quickly throw in a winner for the giveaway this week. So we actually have another international winner. Shout out to the Manchester Mavericks. The winner this week is Andrew Kong, who also, Blake, said he's a fan of your streams. So shout out to you, Oh, he's a great guy. 
<laughs> so, Andrew, I hope your local game store can use the box to bring in a lot of new players, and I'm really excited for you. Very, very excited for Andrew. And how many of those do we have left, Sydney? We actually have one left. So get your entries into podcast at gmail.com to try and snag the last one we got. This has been such a huge success. I, I cannot conceive that we will not do something similar again in future. Oh, Agreed. you better believe it. Blake, what do you got going on and where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter if you want to have a little conversation. It's uh, at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake. And then uh, look up my YouTube and uh, see what I've been doing because on there I'm streaming on Thursdays and I'm just putting out different types of videos uh, almost every day of the week. I think I only take Fridays and Saturdays off from putting content out. So always something to view there. He's an animal. He's hungry. <laughs> All right. You have been listening to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. Thank you so much. We'll be here again next week. Until then, stay forged.